So this is the the fifth day of our August, first August retreat, first week. And we're continuing with our discussion of the Bhagavad Gita. We're on chapter six, toward the end of chapter six, the yoga of meditation. And we concluded yesterday with Krishna uh, telling Arjuna that this is the true yoga, the unbinding of the bonds of sorrow. Practice this yoga with determination and with a courageous heart. With determination and a courageous heart. And in the Yoga Sutra, uh, we're reminded that Patanjali says, um, a courageous heart means that we practice with friendship, compassion, joy, dispassion, and happiness for others' good fortune. So, this is, a, this is the way we can be. This is the way we can be uh, courageous and open to the world around us and to others. So we're friendly. Be friendly with everyone on good terms, easy, easily interacting. Have compassion for the suffering of others. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of suffering in the world. So we have an open heart. We're compassionate. Um, and we do whatever we can to help relieve suffering wherever we find it. So we have compassion, keep our heart open. We're joyful and we can be joyful all the time. This is an insight. This is a decision. This is a choice. No matter what's happening, we can always be cheerful and joyful and up inside. Dispassionate, that means that we're not attached to the results of our actions we're not attacked uh, we're not addicted we don't have any strong aversions we see what's happening we look at what's happening and we take everything in stride everything is uh, we handle everything as it comes up without being overly reactive and we're happy joyful for the good fortune of others we're not uh, envious and or uh, wishing them ill because they've you know, because they have something we don't have, um, we, we rejoice. When someone has good fortune, we think, wow, this is great, wonderful. You know, this is life expressing and it's all happening. So Krishna goes on and says, Ab- abandoning all desires, abandoning, abandoning all desires born of his own selfish will, a man should learn to restrain his unruly senses with his mind. So again, we're talking about, you know, focusing on meditation. So we should learn to restrain the senses to be, to bring them under our control with the mind. So our mind intentionally, and instead of allowing our, attention to be drawn to the senses and to be distracted and to be constantly fluctuating. We keep the mind, we use the mind to focus attention and by focusing, we're no longer so involved with what's happening in the senses. In this way, gradually he becomes calm and controls his understanding, focusing on the self, that is with the capital S, he should think of nothing at all. Think about that. How do you think about nothing? (laughs) What does nothing look like? (laughs) 
you should think of nothing at all. That means we allow the mind to quiet down. We, if, we, we, if there's a thought, if we're thinking about something, we let it go. We take our attention away from it. We disregard it. Gradually, he becomes calm and controls his understanding, focusing on the self, the higher consciousness, this essence of being. He should think of nothing at all. So this is our, again, this is moving into our meditation. Krishna is explaining exactly what to do here. Focus the mind in order to turn down the distractions of the senses, focus on the self, on higher consciousness, to rest in this awareness that there's no thought. There's no story. There's no, nothing going on. We're not keeping track of what's happening. We're not, um, identifying ourselves in context of what's happening around us we just rest we just allow ourselves to be awake and aware without having to think you know it's the um if you ever watch a sporting event there's a narrator in the sporting event a color man and the color man or color person uh is constantly talking so, you know, they, they snap the football and for five seconds, you know, everybody runs around on the field and there's a big action. And then there's a minute of nothing happening while they reset the ball. And during that minute, somebody's talking about what happened on the field and what this player did last time and what this player is likely to do next time. And they just talk and talk and talk. There's this narration it is constantly going on, this internal dialogue, and we have this in our head. The mind is constantly talking to us, constantly analyzing and criticizing and figuring out and predicting, and, and it just goes on and on. So we sit to meditate, and we allow ourselves to not be thinking. We turn off the narrator, turn off the story, and just rest. See, this is, this is the whole thing. He goes on to say, however often the restless mind may break loose and wander, he should rein it in and constantly bring it back to the self, higher consciousness, capital S. However often the restless mind may break loose and wander, so we restrain it, keep our attention focused, and then the mind goes off. It's distracted. We rein it back in. However often that we need to do that, we bring it back to the self. And when his mind becomes clear and peaceful, he enters absolute joy. And the mind becomes clear, peaceful, quiet. When there is no longer thoughts percolating through, we're still aware. We still, you know, we still are. We still have this sense of being, existing. And in this existence being, without any distraction, there is this automatic bliss, this joy of being that bubbles up from within. And again, this is not a mental joy. This is not an emotional joy. This is not a surge of energy, physiological. This is the joy of self-knowing. This is the joy of self-awareness. This comes up and we are content, perfect, peaceful. But we don't have these concepts and these terms around it. We just rest in this experience. We have to come back from that experience to talk about it. While we're there, it's just being, you see. 
So when his mind becomes clear and peaceful, he enters absolute joy. His passions are calmed forever. He is utterly absorbed in God. And when we say utterly absorbed in God, there's this tendency, you know, we've, we've been uh, conditioned so much to think of God as being out there. And no matter how many times we are reminded of the fact that there is only one thing it's expressing as everything, and that's God. So when we talk about being utterly absorbed in God, we're utter, utterly absorbed in beingness. We're utterly absorbed in this um, beautiful essence of expressive, uh, expressive essence of ultimate reality. There is no separation. So when we, when we come to this place, when we wake up to this place, we are wherever there is, we're there. See, we are that with the capital T, tat, that, tat twamasi, that thou art. We are experiencing our true nature as one with ultimate reality. Mastering mind and body, purified from all sin, he easily gains true freedom and finds infinite joy. So again, higher consciousness is saying this is the this is the 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 route to take: mastering the mind, mastering the body, purified from all sin. And when we say sin, um, you know, sin comes is a word that comes from uh, uh, old Latin. Uh, and sin means to miss the mark. Sin meant to miss the mark. So in old days, uh, the main artillery in, in a battle was archers. And archers were um, really pretty amazing. I mean, they could shoot a, an arrow the length of a football field and hit in almost the head of a pin. I mean, it was really quite remarkable from what I understand. And they could do this fairly rapidly. So when they were practicing, you know, when they were out learning their skills, they would have targets and there would be somebody way down there at the other end of the football field at the target, hiding behind a tree or something, hopefully. And, and so the archer would shoot. And when it hit the target, uh, if it missed the point, if it missed the middle, then the guy would yell out sin. This meant you missed the mark. You missed the point. So to sin is to miss the point. We stop missing the point. We stop being ignorant, you know, when we are waking, waking up. We're purified from this tendency to not see clearly, to be deluded, to be operating under this sense of illusion, the enchantment that we're somehow separate. So this purification takes place naturally when we wake up. We don't have to do anything to earn it. It's like, oh, I wake up and I, I know what I am. And what I am is perfect and whole and pure. And, the, and the, the vehicle, the system that I'm operating through, I see where that maybe have accumulated some, you know, some wobbles along the way. And maybe uh, there's some dukkha. Remember, dukkha is suffering. And the dukkha actually comes from this, this, this imperfect axle hole, so the wagon wobbles, so my wagon's wobbling, but I am awake and conscious. And so from that 
uh, point of being conscious and awake, I can make whatever adjustments I need in the vehicle. As long as I'm identified with the vehicle, with this body and this mind, with limitations, then I'm a victim. I'm out of control. Then we're, then we're literally uh, stuck under this spell, this enchantment. Liberation, liberation of consciousness means we wake up. And once we wake up fully, then we're no longer under the effect. We're no longer victims of circumstances and events. We're no longer victims of our past. We're no longer victims of all, whatever we may have done, our sins of the past, the places where we've missed the point, or we may have been inappropriate, uh, or the things that have happened to us that have been terrible. We're no longer the effect of these things. We see them for what they are. Oh, this happened. This was an event. This was a circumstance. This was part of the adventure of my life. But it's not me. I am immortal. I am already perfect, whole. And so this is what Krishna's higher consciousness is telling this seeking soul, this awakening aspect of ourself. And then he goes on and says, mature in yoga, that is samadhi. So we have, we have come to the place where we can rest in this oneness consciousness to some degree, to some degree. So we, we may not be, we may not be perfect, but we can allow the mind to come quiet enough so that we can really rest in, in the silence, maybe be identified with Aum, resting in Aum vibration and have this, this gentle sensation or awareness behind that, that I am uh, observing, I am experiencing, I am having this and coming into these more and more subtle levels. So, so this samadhi, oneness consciousness progresses in stages. It progresses in, in a gradual unfolding manner. And it, it, there's no line of demarcation where, uh, where we finally got to the next level, the little magic switch happens and there's like, ah, that's it. It's a gradual process. And we, and we find ourselves there, we go, wow, you know, this is it. But it didn't happen as a result of some achieving some goal. It's like we just relax into it. Literally, we, we relax into it. We let go of all the other things. And it's like, ah. And then oftentimes, as I said yesterday, oftentimes when we have that ah and we're there, we go, wow, this is what I've been looking for. And then we're back in the mind. We're thinking again. We have another concept. There's a, oh, now I have to stop thinking about this wonderful experience so I can have it. You know. So, um, <clears throat> so mature in yoga means that we are, we are, we have had practice enough to become calm, stable, centered, to experience some stillness. Then impartial everywhere he looks. He sees himself in all beings and all beings in himself. So we experience oneness consciousness. We are impartial, dis, uh, um, dispassionate about what's happening around us. Mr. Davis loved this word dispassionate. He said, be dispassionate. It doesn't mean not to be engaged with life. It means not to allow life to push you around. To, to, have, to control your passions. To control where you put your energy. And see yourself in all beings and all beings in yourself. There is no separation. The idea and the sensation of being separate is an illusion. 
in, in our, um, you know, in, in um, Sanskrit, the word for this illusion is maya. Maya, the sense of illusion, the sense of separation, the sense of all these individual pieces and parts and things. And, and you know, this, this is part of what it takes to have a, an expressive reality, to have this world. But, but as we become identified with it too much, overly identified, it tends to, to block, to obscure our experience of the truth of what we are. We get so identified with what's happening that we lose the sense that I am part of this and everyone is part of this and there's no difference, no separation. No. The man who sees me, again, higher consciousness, who sees me in everything and everything within me will not be lost to me, nor will I ever be lost to him. He who's rooted in oneness realizes that I am in every being. Wherever he goes, he remains in me. So we can't be outside of God. We can't be outside of this expressive reality. We can't even conceive of what that would, what that would be. We are, you know, we are an expression. We come out of it. We are uh, animated by it. Even the thoughts that we have are part of its thoughts. And so we are in, in the midst of this process. And if we can kind of open our awareness and continually again and again and again and be reminded, we're all in this together. Everything depends on everything. Everyone depends on everyone. You know, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet and, uh, and, and they're, they're all taking care of each other in ways that they don't even know. Everything that we do is interacting and influencing and affecting everything else. There's this ripple effect. So what we say, what we do, how we act, what we think, the way we communicate, all these things, they ripple out into the world. And maybe, we are, maybe we're affecting and influencing a few people around us, much less these days that we're all sitting at home, you know, interacting through our screens um, but we are interacting and we're talking we share ideas we share information and and that sharing of information spreads out you know the things that are meaningful we pass along and so we're all connected everything's connected When he sees all beings as equal in suffering or in joy because they're like himself, that man has grown perfect in yoga. All beings are equal, whether they're suffering or joyful, because they are like yourself, you see. Then that man has grown perfect in yoga. So, so you know, he, Krishna has come back around this several times and said, Everything is one thing. Learn to see and perceive that this one thing is expressing as everyone. Honor and acknowledge the divinity of every person. Look past the surface and the actions and the ideas and the opinions. Look past that and see, wow, here's another beautiful, immortal, spiritual being who is having an adventure of a lifetime, just like me. 
and their adventure of a lifetime is profoundly different than my adventure of a lifetime. And, you know, isn't this wonderful? We can, we can learn to appreciate that. Again, I say, I, I repeated yesterday one of my, my favorite quotes from Paramahansa Yogananda. In this world, everybody's a little bit crazy, but we tend to hang around with people that are crazy the same way that we are, so we don't notice it. And it's only when we bump into somebody that has a different flavor of craziness that we go, oh, look at that. You know? Wow. So, so everybody is having their adventure and everybody has a backstory. You know, if you sit down and, and, and listen to the story, how did we get to where you are right now? You'll find heartbreak. You'll find amazing successes. You'll find all this stuff. You know, every single life has all this going on. So we just learn to look at people instead of looking at what they're presenting in the, the persona, the mask that they're wearing today right now. We see through that and we go, oh, I see, you know, you've got this role. Cool. And I've got this role. And right now there's... 7.8 job slots on this planet and you got one of them and you should feel, you know, grateful and blessed um, that you're here and have the opportunity to do what you're doing, but then honor and acknowledge everybody else too. You got to be here, each one of you. So, so we can, you know, keep our, keep our attitude, keep our consciousness constantly being reminded of the truth what's really going on around here instead of being reacted and going to the lowest common denominator and constantly feeling ourselves you know having to react to things rather than being able to respond react negative respond engage you see it's a choice then arjuna comes back and says You've taught that the essence of yoga is equanimity, Krishna. But since the mind is so restless, how can that be achieved? How do we get equanimity? Because the mind is constantly restless. The mind is unsteady, turbulent, wild, stubborn. Truly, it seems to me that it's as hard to master as the wind. And remember, Arjuna is symbolic of those that are very skillful in working in the world, taking care of things in ordinary self-conscious awareness. And so, so life is going along and we can handle ourselves. We, you know, Arjuna knows how to lead his, his battles. He knows how to lead the army. Um, and, and the Arjuna and us, the seeking soul in us, we, need how, we know how to get along in the world. We know how, how to take care of ourselves and how to interact and how to relate. But when it comes to dip to comprehending spiritual things, this more subtle level, there's some challenge, there's some difficulty. And so Arjuna is going, you know, the mind is so restless. It's like trying to contain and trying to, you know, to, to uh, master the wind. It's like trying to herd cats. What do you do? You know, so, so Krishna comes back and he says, you're right, Arjuna. The mind is restless and hard to master. But by constant practice and by detachment, it can be mastered in the end. Constant practice and detachment. Yoga is indeed hard for those who lack self-restraint. 
but if you keep striving earnestly in the right way, you can reach it. So if we lack restraint, if we're impulsive, if we are not disciplined, if we're not intentional, then it's really difficult. But if we, if we can uh, learn to be uh, self-disciplined, remember Kriya Yoga is defined as self-discipline, self-study, intensive self-discipline, self-study, and letting go of the ego, feeling ourselves to be one with this larger reality. Ishvara Pranidhana is to the sensation, the feeling that we are one with ultimate reality, with Krishna, with higher consciousness. So, so he's saying if we, if we lack self-restraint, it's hard. But if we keep striving earnestly in the right way, then we can achieve. So Arjuna comes back and says, but, but what happens to the man who, with faith but no self-control, wanders from the path of yoga before he is finished, before he becomes mature, before he's fully awake? What happens if we start out, we move into the path, we start to practice, we meditate, and then life happens, we get distracted, and the next thing we know, we remember how peaceful it was when we were meditating, but we're just not making the time anymore. We're, we're, you know, uh, we backslid, backsliding is what Roy would call it. And, Christian, and uh, Arjuna goes on and he says, hasn't he lost both the here and the hereafter? Doesn't he, doesn't he rootless and insubstantial fade like a cloud in the sky? This is the doubt that troubles me, Krishna. I beg you, please help me, for only you can remove this doubt from my mind. So what happens if we get started and then we don't make it all the way? And have we wasted all this time? And you know, are we lost? And Krishna comes back, higher consciousness says, Neither here nor hereafter, Arjuna, is that man lost. No one who does good work will come to an evil end. Every, every action, every step that we take, every movement in the right direction is a positive movement. This is, we, we, will, we will not lose that. We may put it on hold. We may, it may be put in the background for a while, and, and a while may be another lifetime. You know, in this tradition, we talk about reincarnation and say, well, you know, you make some progress this time around and then uh, forget your way, get lost. Next time you come back, this, the, the merit that you have benefited, the, the awakening that you've had will come back and you'll start off in a little better place than you were the time before. So, uh, so Krishna goes on, reaching the heaven of the righteousness after uncountable years, that man will be a born again to parents who are upright and wealthy. He may even be born to parents who have practiced yoga and who are wise, although such a birth as fortunate as this is much more difficult to attain. So he's saying, he's saying basically that we don't come into this world as a blank slate. Everyone does not come in exactly the same. We come in from wherever, whatever realm that we're coming from, we come in with the consciousness uh, already in place that has been 
uh, it is the result of the efforts and the actions and the awakening and the learning that we have done wherever we have been in time and space. And so, and, and we know this, we see this because we can just observe. If we ever spend any time around children, we see that, you know, all these little children come out and they're not the same. They have a personality. They have an agenda. You know, I was born, I was raised in a family with four brothers and a sister, six kids in my household. And I was either blessed or cursed to be the oldest. So I got to watch them all come. You know, they paraded in one at a time, year after year. And, um, and amazing to see that the, all these individuals who came from the same parents grew up in the same environment, in the same household, with the same influences, going to the same schools, uh, hanging out with the same kids in the neighborhood, profoundly different, profoundly different, you know, different, you know, some much more outgoing and gregarious, some much more conservative and a little, you know, a little worried about what to do next. And personalities, personalities, every single individual comes with some, uh, it comes with an operating system that's already has some apps installed. <laughs> We're already wired up to a certain degree. And, and so no, no progress that we make is lost. And we find some individuals, I mean, I find, I, I, I feel very blessed myself um, that I was led to this path very early in life and that I was led to this path without having to go through a great deal of suffering. I went through a great deal of suffering when I was younger, but that's not what led me to this path. There was a knowing all the time from the time I was, the youngest time I can remember. Um, I was raised, uh, I wasn't raised in the Catholic church, but I was raised by parents that were in the Catholic church. And so we regularly attended every week, never miss. We didn't eat meat on Friday. Friday was fish day. And as soon as we, as soon as I got into uh, elementary school, I was enrolled in catechism classes to be educated in the, in the philosophy and understanding. And, and all that was, it was fascinating in the beginning and then got to be confusing. But going to church, I, as the early, my earliest memories, five, six, seven years old, I remember sitting in church in high mass with the incense burning and the chanting, everything was in Latin in those days. It was a high ritual. It was a mantra that was the mass. And I would sit there and tears would be running down my cheeks. I would have this feeling, this sensation that would come as a result. And I had no idea as a kid what was going on, you know. I mean, you have the little bit of the story, but, but there is this, spiritual emotional connection that happens and and then later on you know as I grew up and became a became an altar boy when I was 10 or 11 years old for a few years and but even you know even to this day if I went down and went and sat in a high mass a latin high mass you just feel this energy you feel this consciousness this spirit that is moving that is moving it comes so, so I felt this, uh, you know, this great blessing to be drawn back to this path. And, and I have a very clear sense. I don't, I don't remember past lives and, and I don't think it's particularly useful to dwell on that. 
but I've always had this sense that I spent a lot of time as a yogi someplace in, an, in another time and place. And because it was just like coming home. When I, when I found this path, when I found this teaching, it was just like coming home. It's like, of course, you know. And it wasn't a, a mystical thing. Nobody talked into my head. I didn't see any, uh, I may had, have any amazing inner experiences. Uh, it was just a knowing, just this inner knowing. And I think each of us has kind of a sense, this inner knowing, and it's very subtle and we may not be able to exactly define it, but not being able to define it doesn't mean it's not real and that we don't have it, you know? important I mean, and this is important we, we have this tendency to think that we have to be able to define things to make them real and have them be you know something that we can talk about and think about and and the things that we can't define easily we tend to disregard but when we think about trying to communicate an experience it's impossible there is no way we can actually communicate this you know, an experience. I, I told you the story about my wonderful gelato experience in Italy in Milan. And, um, and I can tell you, I can sit here and talk for an hour about gelato, chocolate, double chocolate gelato. But all the talking that I do is not going to help you have the experience of gelato, you know. It's a thing that you, you, whatever experience we have is a thing. And whatever we talk about it is a pointer, is a symbol, is a, a direction. And so when we have this sensation, this idea, this, this feeling of being in our right place, the feeling that maybe we've been here before, the feeling of connection, these things we cannot describe, we can't define enough, but they're real. So we learn to pay attention and to be sensitive to this. So, uh, but back to our point is that that no effort is wasted. So we're not, whatever we're doing, we're not wasting our time. We continue to move slowly but surely, step by step toward the goal. And our idea, our aspiration is to be fully awake in this incarnation, in this lifetime. And Mr. Davis, he would, uh, almost every time that he had a seminar, every time that he had a program, he would remind us that this is the objective. It's not to just get a little closer so that we've accumulated enough good karma so that we can earn this really good birth next time, you know, and be in a fortunate family, have a family that's wealthy and, or a family that's very spiritual. Um, he said, he said, don't take a chance. Don't take a chance. We don't know what's happening next and we don't know where we're going to be and what realm we'll be in and what the conditions will be. But we know that if we're fully awake when we make our transition, that we'll be fully awake wherever we end up. And so, so get on with it, you know. What's, what's stopping? And so, uh, so he may even be born to parents who have practiced yoga and are wise, although such a, birth as, uh, such a fortunate birth as this is much more difficult to attain, obtain. And there... He regains the knowledge acquired in his former life. And from that point on, Arjuna, he strives toward the ultimate goal. So at some point as we're waking up, at some point in our life as we mature, uh, it may be very young and early for Mr. Davis. By the time he was 18, he was connected. He knew 
what his path was. He knew what his direction was. And so, and so he engaged in that and he did it without plan B. You know, I asked him, I said, what happened if Yogananda um, would have said, no, you can't stay? He said, I never even thought of that. That never even crossed my mind. So, so at 18, he was committed to his uh, intense spiritual path. Some individuals, you know, find that they wake up and their, their connection happens when they're 30. Doesn't matter. At some point, you know, this awakening occurs and we start to be reminded and we start to be drawn back into our spiritual awakening process, which is ongoing continually. Unconsciously, he returns to his former practice. Even a man who asks about yoga goes beyond formal religion. So formal religion is dogmatic. Formal religion says, believe this, believe, believe, believe. And if you just believe strongly enough and long enough and hard enough, we'll take care of you. You know, this is this, is this idea that uh, there is a savior out there somewhere who is working for your good. You just believe in that savior, uh, whether it's Jesus on in the West or Ram in the in the in Asia. Believe, believe, and so this is a this is a, a, a fundamentalist sort of limited approach idea about what's happening, but. But Krishna says, if you start asking about spirituality, what does this mean? What's this about? What am I? Just that process of acting begins to bring us beyond belief, beyond settling for just believing what somebody else has told us, buying into the party line. It automatically sets us on this path of awakening of being interested, of being um, curious. And this starts us on our spiritual awakening path. So to ask the question, just to ask the question, puts us on the path, you see? Just to say, what else is going on? How does this work? And I remember the catechism classes, and I was, uh, it was mandatory in my family until I got out of high school. So um, through the 12th grade, I was, attending once a week a catechism class and by the time I was 18 and of course teenagers are rebellious and you know confrontational and um, and so I would debate with the teacher and and I saw very clearly that there were some very big logical holes in the way they were presenting this philosophy of how God makes the world and and when we start asking questions about how come, if God is so good, then how come babies suffer, you know? And uh, some of these very, very practical, very easy questions that, you know, they pop up. And so, so starting to ask these questions was enough to move me from this fundamental, limited viewpoint about believing to saying there must be something else, you know, there must be more going on here. and. And so this is what happens for us when we get to the place of asking the question, what else is happening? How does this work? Not just accepting the party line, but rather, you know, what's behind the scenes? Uh, like the Buddha said, don't believe anything I say. Don't believe this. Find out for yourself. You know, 
Remember the story about Sri Yukteswar told about this pundit, this, you know, very wise, uh, educated, uh, erudite, scholarly person who came to him and started lecturing him about uh, scriptures and Bhagavad Gita and telling him about commentaries and this wonderful stuff. And, and finally, Yukteswar said, wait a minute, just wait a minute. You're telling me all these things. I've read this. I've read these commentaries. You're telling me all this information. What have you realized? What do you know? Don't tell me stories about of what other people are saying. What is your realization? So we study in order to point ourselves in the right direction, but we think and contemplate and analyze and make this real for ourselves. So it's not enough to just have a, a, a library full of information. You can see behind me, I have a few books. There's a lot more other places. Um, and this library of information is wonderful and inspirational, but it doesn't do anything if we don't take, take it in little teeny bites and think about it. What does this mean? How does this relate? You know, what is the process? And to make, to actualize it for ourselves, that's important. So to make it real. So, and he goes on, striving with constant effort, cleansing himself of all sin, through many lifetimes, at last he attains the ultimate goal. The man of yoga is greater than ascetics or the learned or those who perform the rituals. Therefore, be a man of yoga. Man of yoga, again, he's talking about one who practices meditation to the point of samadhi, oneness consciousness. The person who is experiencing oneness consciousness, this awareness, this clear awareness, is greater than aesthetics, that is the, 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 the yogis that are out in the forest, um, you know, depriving themselves of everything and, um, and working very hard and practicing all these, doing all these uh, austere practices, intense disciplines, working, working, working at it much better to be just fully awake or the learned, the scholar that knows all this information can just, you know, sit down and quote um, verbatim, you know, read the Bhagavad Gita, memorize the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras and the commentaries and has all this, this information. Um, but even that person is not nowhere near the one who has just had this experience in consciousness who is awake or those who perform the rituals, the priests. So, so Krishna says the best thing is to be this person who is practicing yoga, oneness consciousness, samadhi. Practice yoga sincerely with single-minded single devotion. Love me with perfect faith and bring your whole self to me. So this is how he concludes chapter 6, the yoga of meditation. Practice yoga sincerely. This is important. This is something that's special. It's not just a hobby. It's not something that I, you know, that I'm just working into my life. I'm sincere. This is an important thing for me, my spiritual awakening path. With single-minded devotion, love me. With perfect faith, trust. We trust the universe. We trust ultimate reality. We trust that whatever brought us to this dance is going to take us home. Right? Trust, faith. 
And with this way, bring your whole self, that is your little self, to me, this higher self. So we allow ourselves to, to let go of this ego, to let go of the sense, the feeling of being separate, being outside, and allow ourselves to rest in the awareness that we are one with all that is. And, and to maintain that awareness all the time. And, and we can do that. We can do that. Um, there's a distinction to be made between saying that we are one with the all-pervading supreme consciousness and saying we are one with all other beings who may be engaged in violence against other being, beings or is oneness with supreme consciousness to be at one with all beings regardless of the circumstances in which they appear to be existing. We are one with all beings regardless of appearances, regardless of what they're doing and how they're doing it. There is only one thing. There's only one uh, consciousness which is expressing as this entire universe this entire planet, this entire ecosystem. So the plants and the trees and the creatures and the people are all part of this one expressive reality. And every individual, the ones that are acting really crazy and the ones that are acting very supportive and nurturing and, and making a big difference, all of them are the same as you know, underneath behind the character are the same as expressions of this one reality, no separation. And of course the, the trick, the idea for us, uh, the objective is to try to learn to be able to see that, to perceive that in people, especially the ones that are treating us badly or treating the world badly, you know, to pray for them, to pray for their awakening, to pray for their, you know, to, for them to move past their suffering. And we can do that. And of course, we have some beautiful, wonderful examples. Um, the, the Dalai Lama talks about, you know, being kicked out of his country. I mean, he was literally had to, to uh, escape from Tibet because the Chinese were coming in and taking things over. And, and so, he, so the Dalai Lama left and went to Dharmasala in India and and he talks about how he doesn't have any resentment. He prays for those people. He prays for their soul. He, you know, every single one of them is a blessed being, and he has compassion, not anger, not resentment, compassion. And so we see this, you know, for somebody who's not only lost their home but lost their country. I mean, here is someone who is in charge of a whole country, responsible for the spiritual and the material well-being and is kicked out, loses everything, and still has compassion for those who have done all these terrible things. And if he can do that, then we can certainly forgive, you know, the crazy people that are running around and making little, uh, little wobbles and creating challenges um, because we know it's temporary. These, this too will pass away. Uh, and things will change, and as they change, because we are keeping our uh, our awareness and our consciousness in a positive, optimistic direction, as they change, we make a contribution to having them change for the better. 
So right now, you know, we're, at, we're moving toward a very low point. Um, it's pretty low right now, and, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. But we're also at this low point, we're in a transitional uh, position where as we come out of this, the disorder, the chaos, the insanity that's happening right now on so many different levels on the planet, all this is, is really shaking everything up. And out of chaos comes order, always. But before we can restructure and be reordered in a new way, we have to break down the old way. Otherwise, inertia, tamas, keeps everything running along the same way it's been. And it just kind of winds down, gets worse and worse and worse, until at some point, everything just has to change. So it goes, and we're in the middle of all the... The, the reshuffling of the deck. We're in the middle of all the the, um, the the economic and environmental and uh, mental, racial, all these conflicts that are going on. Um, we're in the middle of all the reshuffling. And so as we come out of this, we have to put the world back together again. The world has to come back into order, and the order that it comes back into won't be the same that we left. It'll never be the same. So we're not going back to what it used to be. We're going forward to something new, and we can contribute. We make a difference in what that something new will be through our consciousness, through our interaction, through our positive um, input. Positive and optimistic. So, and we can do that. So we'll continue next week with uh, uh, chapter seven of the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, any other questions? I think it's an appropriate time to end for today. So thank you all. Be joyful. Take good care of each other. Don't forget to, at the end of the day to make sure that you check your list. I have lived, I have loved, and I have laughed. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ron, so much.